You're listening to Screenwriters Need to Hear This with Michael Jamin. Hey, everyone. Uh, it's Michael Jamin, and you're listening to Screenwriters Need to Hear This. I got a special guest today. I always say that when I have a special guest. But uh, this time we have um, a world-famous comedian. And now what does comedians have to do with screenwriters? Well, comedy writing, it's a, for, it's a form of writing, Taylor. So we're here with Taylor, Taylor Williamson, who was... Let me get. Let me make sure I get this right. You're runner up on America's Got Talent. What? What? How long? What, what year was that? Because we we just say recently, fairly recently, recently in the spectrum smart. of time. You know, yesterday, and the how I <laughs> met you was because so we've been friends, Taylor. We've been friends for a long time, but which means I'm probably not going to be as nice to you as on this podcast as if we weren't friends. So you're just be forewarned. No. No. <laughs> You're not going to be as nice. You're going to be less nice to me because yeah. we're friends. Yeah, it's the chat. It's all cordial here on our podcast. So it's, that's how it's I not mean. cordial. <laughs> but I want to tell everyone how we met. So we, we met, I guess, a few years back. It was, it was a while. It was a little sure. bit. Sure. And you had ago. you had just I guess you had just won or you know runner up to America's Got Talent comedian. And you were you were popping. And so. I don't remember exactly how, but you, our managers teamed us up and you had an idea for a TV show based on your life. You were looking for writers. My partner and I met, we met, our managers teamed us up. We, we met and we had a conversation. We liked what you had to say. And we thought, yeah, let's just try to develop a show and see if we can get it off the ground. And that's kind of how it works is like, some people say like, well, I'm a comedian, make a show about me. No, 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 you don't understand. You were having this moment you were, you know, you were, you were meaningful to the network because of your appearance on that, your, your success on that show. And that's how we went about it. Right. No one else even wanted to meet with us. So, and, then, us. and then you guys seemed so excited. I was like, are they playing a trick on us? Or are, are they terrible? <laughs> Why? But, no, I'm, I'm half, I'm slightly, I mean, I'm joking about the mean part. I'm like you being serious about the mean part. Um, yeah. <laughs> there was one other fancy showrunner guy who was attached i think while well, you were also attached and i was confused what was happening like why we have well, we, we couldn't have both been attached that's not possible i don't know there was a guy i just i'll i mean obviously i'll tell you we you already know this stuff from years ago i just have to remind you but like there was another like executive producer guy who oh. was attached and then you guys when we met with you guys as well and oh. everyone was going to be a part of it in different ways and i guess you would have been the sure i guess but then I thought he was, I didn't, I don't know what's going on. I, you know, I'm the, I'm the dumb comedian who's just always these, yeah. uh, these Jewish people are telling me what to do. And uh, I'm Jewish, on. by the way, I don't want to sound like you the can, new Kanye West. I was making can, a, I was playing along that. with Kanye. Wait, I play against you. Jewish. Can you save me? Hebrew? Happy Hanukkah. <laughs> Hebrew. <laughs> Dude, I want to know. I want to know. So Taylor's, you know, com touring comedian. You work all the time. You tour the country. But I want to know, I guess I want to know how you broke into the business. Like, how did you go from open mics to getting paid to do this? Um, we'll, we'll cut out the last 12 minutes of, that I said so far, right? If you, no, I, that's the, we're going to lead with that. <laughs> I feel like you have like real writers, those people listen. Let me just say that, um, we'll, we'll be going to talk more about that. I think it's interesting. We could talk about anything you want to talk about. It's, I don't mean, I, like, I made jokey answers to whatever. But yeah, we, I, it was... I think it's important to share this stuff. And I, I came up, I had a show idea that I liked. And then okay. my my friend is, uh, I'm taking over the show. No, no, it's a, okay, well, I'll get back to it. We have, we got some time to fill here. So we'll get back to my questions. 
Well, so no, I'm taking over. I'm answering your question, buddy. Yeah, I know. But I was steering the conversation away from <sighs> your answer. <laughs> so then Jillian Bell, who's a great comedian, actress, writer person, and mm -hmm. she was interested in the show. And um, and then she uh, wanted to produce the show. Uh, side, right. a fun facts, show business. I used to be with the management company that, that she was with, and I was no longer with them. And I brought this idea to them. And, and my reps were not enthusiastic about it. But yeah. then... So I, and I stopped working with them. But then a year later, Jillian Bell was interested in the idea. Same show. And then we go into their office with Jillian and then they're like, Jillian, this is a great idea. <laughs> and I'm like, the show I actually, business is I funny. totally forgot that she was involved in that. But that's, an, but that's right. Cause she brought another piece to the puzzle. It was like, yeah. And you did, which was like, it's all about how many pieces of this puzzle can you, like how much more can you bring to the table and her involvement the fact that you had this other, you know, she was a, she's an actress, actor, producer. Uh, she's trying to get into the producing field. And that was another piece of the puzzle, which made it more meaningful. So that's how yeah. you weren't just like some random dude, you know, you kind of put these pieces together. Yeah. And then I mean, she helped tremendously and I wouldn't have gotten to you and mm -hmm. uh, Seaver uh, if, uh, if it was not for her. And then we met with you guys and it was such a joy and we could talk about it as much as you want, but, um, but uh Anyways, but how did I start comedy? I, I was 17. I was like, I got into stand-up comedy in high school. I never mm -hmm. liked comedy as a kid. I remember being at the airport and the, like, as a child and some guy was like, oh, I'm a comedian. Ugh. And he's like so obnoxious. And I've always hated that kind of comedy. Like people are like, look at me, I'm a comedian. I got some jokes, you know? So right. I think that, that scarred me for life. So I was like, I don't like, and my brother liked comedy, stand-up comedy. So I said, I don't like stand-up comedy because like dumb sibling, sibling rivalry stuff. And it makes no sense. I'm not proud of anything so I'm saying. I still stand by hating those obnoxious comedians who like tell it when they're comedian. Hey, I'm a comedian. Nice to meet you. Like, you know, like, I, don't, I don't need that. And yeah. then. Um, but that's funny because I always say like people who have to advertise that they're funny. <laughs> be funny. You know what I'm saying? They have to yeah. put it on their business card. You know, funny right. guy. <laughs> yeah. But OK, I, go ahead. And I, for the record, I've been saying I'm not funny this entire I've been this entire we conversation. Believe you. I believe you. <laughs> Very good. I'm glad that's clear. And yeah. then uh, in high school, I got into stand up a lot as a, being a fan of it. And then um, and then uh, I'm from San Diego and rest in peace. Uh, her name is Sandy Seashore. Mitzi's daughter from the comedy oh, store, no. Polly's sister, had a comedy workshop in San Diego. And I'm I'm 17 and I'm like, oh, that seems like a way to start, you know? Uh -huh. I don't necessarily encourage comedy classes. Why not? Um, as for stand-up comedy, improv, sketch, yeah. Stand-up, fine. It helps you get your feet wet and you learn structure and stuff. But generally you learn I learned what not to do really. I don't what you do kind you mean, of there's no structure though. What do they teach you there? You get comfortable land on, on the funny on the funny word? Yeah, it's just like helping dissect. I don't know. Everyone has there's no curriculum for comedy classes, but I learned a lot of things when not to do, and uh -huh. I watched things being rewarded. Everyone's been like, "This is not what I want to do. This is not right." And you're in the class with a bunch of crazy people too, honestly. You know, and what um, kind of things do you learn that you you're not supposed to do? I as I was saying that, I was like, "That's going to be a, a follow up question." I can't yeah. think of one, but like rule of threes, all this. I don't know. I, I don't like. It, the, yeah. I don't like these. It's just like, yes, those are things. Right. But then also it doesn't have to be as such, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think of like better examples of that. But here's the positive that I got out of it is if you're fat, 
talk about it. If you're skinny, talk mm. about it. And th this is what I got out of the class and that's invaluable is that everything I got picked on in school was things that were like my superpower as a comedian or a writer. So like exactly. all the bullies were like, hey, you talk weird or you walk weird, or you're a dork. And, I, so, and I, I was able to spin all of those into, I go on stage, hey, so I'm weird and I, I talk weird and I walk and then people are like, we like you. And it's just kind of a beautiful thing to do. Comedy it's so writing. funny. Yeah. This is what I say all the time to people, which is to talk about your vulnerabilities. That's what you want to talk about. And you know, in screenwriting, but it's the same thing with stand-up, you know? Yeah. And I guess as a stand-up that I, I and I, I don't have better answers than this at the off the top of my head because it's so long ago, but I remember like it's like you learn to go like, oh, I'm half Jewish and I'm half Italian so that means I like pizza that's on sale you know and then right. they go great like no like come on so it teaches you that kind of but it it does teach you what a joke is and it teaches you to get comfortable on stage and it teaches you what's out there but I don't know it, it can make it a hacky hack comedian you know and then what came next so the open mics after that you put together a five minute act or something so I was kind very tenacious and uh uh ridiculous and i knew i was very i did very i was very good for my age and this is also the time when not everyone's on instagram and TikTok and all this stuff so like i was maybe one of the three 17 year old stand-up comedians out there uh -huh. like you know what i mean so i was probably the best i'm using quotation of fingers 17 year old yeah. comedian I don't know. So I got all, I got attention and I was really good, especially in front of that supportive audience where everyone invites their friends and stuff, mm -hmm. you know? I didn't invite anybody, but like in that safe space, I, I don't know. I was very good at my age. I don't know. This probably sounds douchey, but so I moved to LA to, for college, but really for comedy. And it was very humbling doing an open mic that was not that safe space. And then the yeah. crowd wasn't so supportive. I'm like, what? What's wrong with you people? Oh, wait, that's not real. This is real, you know? Yeah, but I got really good video footage, videotape footage, you know, VCRs, those things. And who who brought the camera? So the comedy workshop, oh. you pay like four four billion dollars, and then you get to right. do the eight weeks, and you get a tape at the end. So I got a killer tape. So I sent that to the the producers of the Tonight Show. <laughs> I sent it to the Last Comic Standing producers. I sent it to Eddie Brill, who booked David Letterman. So like I was eighteen, I was. Gosh, was it before I was 18? And wait, that, like, did they, they, all, they write back? Yeah. Did they reach out? What'd they yeah. say? Every time. <laughs> What'd they say? These guys, every time. I remember, I never got, I don't believe I ever got them on the phone. I, Eddie Brill, Letterman guy called me. I remember, I remember being in college, 18, in the hallway, I had a voicemail from the booker yeah. for Letterman. Nowadays, I would have recorded it and saved it. You know, this is like flip phone time. So, and it, he was like, thanks for the tape funny jokes because i remember reading somewhere that he responds to every bird everyone who submits and uh i remember he said yeah you can't do the aids joke on the show <laughs> the AIDS, it was like you get it wasn't an aids joke but it was like the joke was i was trying to be bitch hedberg at the time you know like brilliant uh -huh. one-liner guy i was trying to be one of those guys so like i remember being like all these people are walking for aids so i'm against aids i don't know you know what i mean right. some dumb joke like that and uh, he's like, you can't say that, you can't say that, but keep working on it, whatever. And the uh, Bob Reed at Tonight Show was so sweet, and 
he seemed accessible to me because he was a judge on Last Comic Standing the first few few seasons. Uh-huh. So he would send me the tape back, say, thanks for the tape, keep working at it. They would re- re- literally return the sender, but with a note and thank you. And and then the last time he called me or something, like the third time he was like, you don't have to keep sending me tapes. <laughs> but he's still supportive though, you know? Like it was like, hey, you don't have to keep doing, it wasn't like leave me alone, but like it was like, think I think he called me to tell me to stop chill chill a little bit you know give it some give it some time but then like you would do you know of other comics who do this like reach out is that how you well, get I think shows? I think crazy 40 year olds do it now I think like I was cute because I was young oh, but I, th- right. I can't imagine what their emails are like now you know now it's a bunch of insane not but well. you wouldn't you don't know anybody like you wouldn't do this to get booked on any of these shows now that's not I mean I mean now I I do but I know the people uh-huh. you know what I'm saying now I'm like I've done all these things would you please take a look at my I, I nowadays if i want to get on like james corden i have the guy's email and i make a five minute tape and i send them a nice email hi i'm taylor i've done these things or how you been we had coffee one uh, time whatever but does that, I, work? does that stuff work yeah i mean okay. i haven't been on james corden so maybe not but yeah they i mean if you're professional in this business like uh-huh. i've a mistake that i made and i'm even sure my reps would agree like, don't go through them for everything. Like, I, I used to think you have to go through representation to get shit done. Can I curse on this show? Yeah. But a big mistake I've made in this business is not using my personal relationships that I have and just reaching out myself. That's so, man, dude, it's so interesting because I say the same exact things. But for screenwriting, like I say, people think that I get it. I need an agent. I need a manager. Like, that's going to change your life. And the truth is. It's not. You still got to do 99% of the work yourself. <laughs> I honest, I'm grateful to any of my reps who are listening to this. They're not listening. And, and I mean it sincerely. Like, I've been doing this for 19 years. So, like, I have, like, old man wisdom, even though I'm not, like, a thousand years old yet. But, like, uh, almost everything that I've gotten that was, like, monumental or a big, big deal was without representation. Mm-hmm. Like respect to them for making the deals way better than it would have been at them themselves or to to them for making something mm-hmm. taken to the next level, you know, that's their jobs, you know, I think most honest and classy agents and managers would agree that, yeah, like they, they pour gasoline on fires, but you have to start the fire yourself. Yeah, and like, you got to do it. And I thought it was unprofessional to reach out without them. Now, like I'm, I'm selling unscripted shows right now that's kind of what i'm hustling on and uh i just say hey jillian told me this or her sister told me this who's a producing partner who's brilliant too like yeah she just goes hey i had a meeting with i'm making up i had a meeting with uh (laughs) paramount today oh cool how was it you know Mm -hmm. so i I call my agent and go i I said i have these three pitch meetings today can you please reach out to some of these places i don't have and sometimes i just go can you give me their email because uh-huh. they have a Rolodex. Interesting. Interesting. I know, do I sound like a crazy person right now? No. And so you set up the meeting yourself that you're saying? Honestly, I set up a, like, I try to do it myself. And then I reach out to them if I need help, even for comedy club bookings. Whoa, let's talk about that. But even for comedy book, so you have a, you don't have a separate booker for comedy clubs? I have a booking agent who's awesome. And, but like, I just got a gig in Atlanta at the, at the Punchline Comedy Club out there. And the guy <clears> texted <throat> me because he knows me. Right. I'm just long enough where I know the people. I know them. So I can just like some of some of these owners of comedy clubs, I can just text and say, Hey, I've done your you know, I've done the club ten times, you know? 
Mm-hmm. So like I've been there the 30 days of my life. I've hung out with these people. Hey, can I, uh, I'd love to come. I'd love to do a weekend with you guys. Do you have anything? Is that, up? And is that what you do? I mean, you'll fly to Atlanta and you'll do a couple of shows at this one club, or do you go on tour? Like, do you go from Atlanta to the next city, whatever the next city, Raleigh? I mean, we used to, you might make a tour of it or do you just keep flying back and forth to LA? That's kind of, a lot of people are doing that now. Like, I mean, that's always been kind of, if you're like, Jim Gaffigan level or like mm-hmm. whatever, like if you're a superstar, you're you're doing like theater, 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 you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still comedy club level guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do weekends. But a lot of these TikTok stars, like people who are getting like independently famous just from their social media, like yourself, honestly, they're oh. they're doing off nights at comedy clubs. So like they're doing like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they'll be in Cincinnati one night, they'll go to uh date in the next night they'll go to toledo the next night and why but, off nights though what's that about because the weekends are tradition the business is changing so much but in comedy clubs the weekends are traditionally held for quote established comedians uh-huh. the idea being that if some randoms walk in they're gonna have a good time like i'm taylor i'm a comedian i've been on america's Got talent i've done comedy central all these, all these things but like, if people just walking because they want to see a comedy show, they're probably going to be fine, you know? But like on a Tuesday, they would book a TikTok dancer or they'll book someone who just got famous because they're really funny and people are connected to their jokes, but they haven't been around that much. Um, but they can still put get asses in seats. Right. But also the other side of it, the business side of it too is if I do a weekend, I can get a guaranteed deal. Uh-huh. that's enough for me to come out no matter what if we sell lots of tickets or not but the right. people going on a tuesday they could make more money than i if they sell every ticket the venue is more willing to give up equity in ticket sales on an off night than on a weekend and so what is the equity like splitting the door yeah so like if so a, a comic who if you can sell out 300 400 seats or whatever the venue seats on a tuesday night you can say the venue give me 80% ticket sales. I'll, I'll fly 80%. in on it. Yeah, or more, you know? I'll oh, come wow. in on Wednesday. You get drink sales. I'll get the ticket sales. And the club's These like, venues have 300 seats? Or is, it just, them, or is that just like the number of shows? Because I thought they're like, I thought most of these clubs are smaller. A lot of comedy clubs now are switching to bigger venues because they're trying to compete with theaters. Because okay. thanks to Netflix and social media, comedians are selling more tickets than they've ever sold ever. Like, like there's just, there's a pole star that just came out. This is public information. Like Bert Kreischer made $25 million touring last year, this year. Like we almost, we almost did a show with Bert. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about it. Now he's million. That's a lot of money. His house wasn't that nice. Well, I know, <laughs> I know, nice but wasn't 25 million. Well, now he has three houses. Neil Brennan just did a podcast with David Letterman bragging about how Bert Kreischer is killing it. And yeah. Letterman like was like laughing, rubbing his eyes, like twenty five million. That's probably more. <laughs> that's legit. Probably more than he made doing his show. Legit, you know. And uh, just touring. Yeah, just touring. And he, I mean, to be fair, that's gross sales before commission. Right. I mean, as we all know, like that's before that's, 30 thirty percent commission. You know, your agent, manager, agent oh, manager, tour manager, lawyer. Maybe oh, no tour? lawyer for touring. Your tour but, manager. I think oh, they take ten percent. I'm sorry, I said businessman. So your manager takes 10%, your agent takes 10%, your business manager takes 5%. We well, don't and, need a business manager. 
but you I'm need sorry? a touring manager. I so I don't know how he does tour manager. I'm just saying like normal manager. Wow, but, this is so interesting. I didn't know this talk was going to be as interesting as it is. Oh, uh, you know what, Mister? But last thing I say is. <laughs> Bert said on a podcast that he said that just talk to him. You know, actually, you don't have to talk to him. Just talk to me. I'll tell you about him. He said yeah. he wouldn't take a movie or TV show right now. Um, it's just that, the wildest thing to hear a comedian say. But I get it, but like that's so not that how we all started me. because he's making so much touring and he has he has gigs booked and he his fans. He has such I a know. connection with his fans. It's so interesting because he murdered never to develop a show and it was his idea. And then he kind of, I think he lost interest of his own idea, yeah. probably because he's like, I don't need to do this. I can make more money on, on the road. Wow. Yeah. And it's just, the dream is just different now. Like I started in 2003 and like I, my dream at that time, I'm sure we talked about this during one of our writing sessions slash therapy sessions for me. Yeah. But like, I wanted to do like Tim Allen, Drew Carey, Ray Romano, all that, that you become a really funny comedian, you work hard, and then you pair up with brilliant comedy writer like yourself, and then you get a sitcom. And that's not how it goes anymore. Most people don't want to bolt a camp sitcom even. Like, yeah. you know, it's kind of interesting too. My girlfriend is an actress, so she's brilliant and comedian and all the things. She's absolutely brilliant. And she's Filipina and, uh, she's i said to her like i had all these people i wanted to be like and i don't know what to do anymore you know one of those things and she's like that's cool that you had people that you watched on tv that you wanted that had a blueprint for you because i never had that i was oh, able so to you're be saying like, because she's Phillips, there weren't any role models for her there was no like oh i want to be like that i want to be like that it was just kind of like rufi respect but like the guy who played rufio and hook and tia career respect you know i think she's yeah like yeah but like so yeah, it's just but interesting. But she's an actor comedian. Yeah. And does she so she do do you work a lot with her then? We are pitching a show together actually, but no. No, she's not really a stand-up. She's more of a or she is a stand-up oh. a little bit. She's she's an actor and stuff. So how did you meet her then? We met uh, doing stand-up like a million years ago. See, but we, what I'm we, re we re reconnected recently. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And so, you, and so, so when you when you talk about reality show or, or unscripted, what like what are you? You don't have to tell me your ideas, but is that your for you to star in some kind of unscripted show that you're saying? Yeah, please don't steal my ideas. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know anything about scripted. People ask me about scripted all the time. Like I don't know how it works. I don't know how it works either, honestly. But mm -hmm. it's what you said, though. It's you have an idea, and then you get people. People go, I don't know, and then you get someone attached to people trust, and they go, Oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> And so you, so, to, you convince the person who people have who has equity in that field and status or whatever you want to use whatever mm -hmm. word you want to use and then uh i mean that's that's what i've done so like i the the success i've had in unscripted tv is um i had a travel show on spike tv or a pilot a few years ago mm -hmm. and i knew this guy tom beers who's like a genius he's like a mad scientist for unscripted television and He's, he's got a really inspiring story. Like he became a superstar, like in his fifties mm -hmm. and like he wasn't a millionaire until his fifties, but then he became like a super millionaire. He created deadliest catch and ice road truckers and, oh, and right. a thousand yeah, ways to die in storage wars yeah. and stuff. And he won the Emmy every year for deadliest catch. Yeah. I love deadliest catch. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, uh, so I, I knew him through, cause he was the CEO of Fremantle after he sold his company to Fremantle, which produced AGT. So, and I had a holding deal with Fremantle and NBC. So I just reached out to him 
after I had some bummer business stuff happen, and I just reached out to him because he was a nice guy who I know he saw me perform and he liked me and he was nice to me. And then, um, and then he started his, I messaged him on Facebook. Like I, like I don't have his phone number, you know? Right. And, uh, this is a few years ago. And then, uh, he, we met up and we brainstormed a lot and, uh, him and his partners and at his company. And we got a pilot with Spike TV after, and it was like, this is like a two year process, by the way. Like, yeah, it takes forever. It was a whole thing. And then you selling a pilot. I didn't get any money. You know what I mean? Oh, <laughs> I'm making it. I didn't get didn't any make money. Any, you didn't make any money at no. all into the budget of the show. Tell me what your so tell me what a holding view for the ever liberal listen. What exactly is a holding view? So I got the janky kind of holding deal you get nowadays. Like mm -hmm. I hear comedians from the 90s talk about their holding deals. They would get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. a year to be exclusive to networks. Yeah, and never actually get anything made, but they would hear pitches or sometimes they would pitch. Right. Yeah. So it's like you just you they get pilots or they have shows built around. I mean, I'm telling you, so you know, well, like yeah. the audience. You know, you tell the audience. No, but the, you tell me what what your what your janky holding. So deal I got is. the janky reality show holding deal where, and they didn't force it upon me. Like I was flat grateful for it, but I think it was ten thousand. So from being America's Got Talent, they had the option. They could have gone way harder on me. These rea these reality show contracts are insane. Like lawyers tell you don't sign them like they have the rights to like own your soul forever and things you make for the future and stuff you can find the contracts online it's really really bad um but, but they you didn't. don't sign those you don't sign those contracts or well i did it when i was a contestant because i was desperate well that and... well that's another thing okay so you did sign one of those contracts with agt but they don't own you now no 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 and it was for a couple <laughs> of years and it's confusing because okay. i was on the show last week but the contract ended after a couple of years it's confusing but um yeah they, they keep on calling you to back into yeah yeah yeah. Heidi, so, I know Heidi loves you yeah uh she says hi by the way <laughs> I know she does but uh so the, there's a contract that I signed that I'm sure is similar it's probably worse now honestly but they had the rights to like specials and ticket sales and all these things they could have claimed because like, One Direction Simon Cowell owned one-sixth of One Direction I believe so because like, they were an X Factor show. Right. Right. So he, he put them together and he owned them. So they, they didn't take a penny from me. But the holding deal was they had the option for a holding deal and I could have fought it. And they I don't think they would have enforced it right. upon me. Right. But um, and I heard that kids can get out of this stuff. The crazy if you're under 18, you can just be like, I'm 16. Leave me alone. <laughs> Whatever you sign. <laughs> I think there's a thing. I heard that's if you're a teenager that wants to be in a reality show. But um. So I, I had like a $10,000 holding deal, which my reps thought it was a good idea to go with it because I would be touring so much that whole year. And then we could develop something. It was the NBC and Fremantle. Mm -hmm. I was frustrated by it because I wasn't supposed to audition for things outside of that. So I right. felt restrained while it didn't go the way I hoped it would. But because- Do you do a lot of auditions for acting parts? Not as much as I like, but I do. Oh, really? Yeah, I just auditioned for Kirby Enthusiasm, and I was so excited because I've I've never been able to get that even on an audition, and that's my dream to be on that. And so, was that for casting, or did you go directly to Larry? It's all online now. Oh. So, from my understanding, when you audition for Kirby, you go you go to Larry, like you're and you play you play with him. Right. But right. even like my cousin's an actress, and my girlfriend, like the most successful pe people, it's still on tape. Yeah. Right. Right.
I'd forgotten about that. It's been so long. <laughs> yeah, but but even even like an improv. So, but I'm saying like even like an improv audition, which is curb. Yeah, like you just ramble with your friend that you're filming it with. So that's that's hard, especially for improv because your friend yeah. you have to play off your friend. Mm -hmm. Wow. And so, yeah. So so how did you go from? I have so many questions, but how did you go from that first stand up? You're doing open mics to actually someone paying you. I got my first paid gig about a year in. Like I got a lot of, so I sent my tape to like everyone you should never send your tape to. Like, like just cause I had a, I was, I mean, looking back, I was very, if you go online, you can find some clips. Thankfully they took out the problematic stuff. It was a different time period, you know? yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, like, yeah. I'm not, but like, uh, but like, I, I was very good for my age and like, so I sent my tape to people and then I got booked at the improv in Ontario when I was 18. That was my first so you, you take to tape. You, okay. You say your tape to Booker to the owners of comedy stores, Man, managers and agents. I contacted managers like, and agents. <laughs> yeah. but is that okay? You should not do that. It's not the move to do it's insanity. And it's a different time now where you don't need to do that. So anymore. how would, so how would you, if you're trying to break in, so how, if you, how are you today? Go get, if you're doing open mics for, I don't know if you're ready after doing, I can tell you exactly stuff. what someone should do today. Yeah, but to post their clips on. In my day, you don't post your clips. I remember when I, when I, I said I was submitting for. I made a tape. I'm trying to remember exactly why I made a tape. I uploaded it to YouTube with private. YouTube. I don't even think private was an option, or I didn't know how to do it. I don't know. But I uploaded a clip on YouTube, and this is 2007, mm -hmm. and I wanted it. Anyway, I got on Craig Ferguson when I was 20 in 2007, and. I rushed to get the tape off of YouTube because I didn't want to have my jokes on YouTube because the, the thought back then was, and I still did fix this in my, my head. I, I started like two, a couple years too early because the, the, the yeah. business and rule, the rules in our brain just changed so much. I don't know if, if, you, if, you, if you ever feel like that, but you're, yeah. doing, you're doing such an amazing job doing things the way things are done now. But anyways, but we didn't want our clips online because we right. thought, People are gonna come see us perform. They're gonna hear the jokes again. Comedy doesn't work the way music does, where you want to hear right. the the repeat of. The, I, I could hear Foo Fighters sing Everlong twelve times in a row. I'd be like, this is great, you know. Right. But stand up, you don't hear the same joke twelve times, you know. So, but now, like, you want it, you, you want your clips online, and I struggle with that. But so why do you want your clips online? Do, don't I mean? Don't you still feel like they don't want to hear your jokes again? Yeah, but that's not it's not how younger people are or anyone is. The consumers aren't like that now. I think well, they want to hear it online. Will they go see it at a club even though yeah. they've already heard it? They will. Yeah. They will see it. They will hear it twice. I don't think people ever hold on to joke memory like that. Really? Yeah. And and enough people. I think the idea is that, listen, say best case scenario, even if you're famous, 40 percent of the people saw that clip you posted. They bring a date, they bring their friends. Right. There's gonna be enough people laughing where everyone's okay. And their friends says, I love that joke. Oh yeah, I saw him on Instagram. That's why I, people would be excited that they knew about it. And now um, people are into, like I'm old and I always liked, if music was on MTV, I liked it, but if they're indie, I didn't listen to it, which is so stupid <laughs> and ignorant and not, thank God as an artist, <laughs> other people don't feel like that, you know? But like people wanna, the people like lo loving some Instagram comic now. And like, I have a buddy, Ralph Barbosa. He's a really special young comedian. He's like 26 or 27 out of Dallas. He's been posting clips on Instagram and TikTok. He went from like 4,000 followers in April to like 160,000 now in December when we're taping this. 
and on TikTok is way more. He's Posting sell- clips that he records at a club. Yeah, he's po- he's selling out more tickets than like I think than I sold. I don't know. I don't know all his numbers, but I think he's selling more than I sold after being on America's Got Talent for a year. You know what I'm saying? He just sold out eight shows at the Hollywood Improv in in February. And how many seats is that? I don't know, two hundred something. Really? But he sold them out months in advance. It's right. wild. It's wild. wild. And they gave him the Wednesday night because he's a young comic who's new and whatever. Then they gave him this late show Wednesday. Then they gave him a Tuesday. They gave him late show Tuesday. Then they're like, okay, you want the whole week? <laughs> I haven't seen that since wow. maybe Joe Coy or Gabriel Iglesias. You know? That's so interesting because it's because you really are. You're, it's hard to get people out of their house on a week week night, and yet they'll come out to see him. I commented on one of his posts. He's this kid open for me. He's like my little opener. I say little, right. he's younger than me. Like, but like, he's like, he's a kid who when I went to Dallas, he'd be like, can I open for you again? And like, you have any other gigs? And I'm like, you know what? He's funny. He's nice. I would take him to lunch. And like, I treated him the way I wish people would have treated me when I was that age, you know, and younger or whatever. And, um, and some people did and it meant a lot to me, you know? And like, I knew he's special. I knew he's going to do something, but I didn't know it was going to be like in wow. two years, you know? And, um, but he opened, he was my opener in Dallas like seven months ago. And now oh. he's like, he's going to be in LA. I'm like, can I, can I open for you on your shows? Is that right? No joke, wow. you know, like, and, uh, and I'm actually coming, I'm working on a, what's kind of special too is like me and Chip Pope, you know, our friendship, yeah. we, yeah. we were, I said to Chip, cause I, I talked to my friend who was producing a thing for Netflix, like a new faces type thing for standups in like February. And I was like, you got to get this guy, Ralph, an audition. And so we came out for that. And I was like, Ralph is so special. We got to come up with a, a show for him. And like, so we've been talking about it for a while. And now serendipitously, he's become like this little superstar. He's in Dallas. And he's he got represent. He's got the biggest agent and biggest manager. Wow. He didn't have to move to LA. He didn't have to move to New York. He's staying in Dallas. It's from posting on social media, being funny and working hard. He was seen the, the algorithm. So anyways, but uh, so we're, we're working on a show with him now, which I'm really excited about, like a scripted show. And, wow. uh, but the last thing I'll say on that is, um, uh, the confusing thing for me is it used to be, you tap dance for like a, a, a gatekeeper, like trying to get some kind of producer to like, I hope they return my email, they book me, or whatever, whatever. Now you're, you're trying to make an algorithm like you. Well, but I, but I think it's more about, cause I say something like this as well, because people are saying, well, how do I break it to Hollywood? How, will you read my script? Will it, like, how do I get a manager or an agent? It's like, dude, all of this stuff you could do on your own. You, yeah. don't, you don't have to beg for permission. You could do, Just do it. Yeah. Right? Do it and make it great and people will come to you. Hey, it's Michael Jammin. If you like my videos and you want me to email them to you for free, join my watch list. Every Friday, I send out my top three videos. These are for writers, actors, creative types. You can unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm not going to spam you. And it's absolutely free. Just go to michaeljammin.com slash watch list. You know what's funny? It it sounds like easy for you to say or it sounds kind of like bullshit advice on Mm -hmm. at first like like how i used to i remember how do i get an agent will they find you how do they find you you will get seen by them but we gotta get booked it's just like what what comes first chicken or egg kind of thing whatever and what you just said sounds the same but now is like 
someone who's been around a long time, you're right. And it sounds not fair and it sounds ridiculous. I'm seeing it all day. And like, can I tell you my agent? I'm with a great agent at a great agency. And like, they rep Dave Chappelle and stuff. He's not, I I don't think I'm speaking out of turn for him. I don't know. But like, I mean, he would come on and say the same thing. He would say, it's what he told me a few months ago. If you're on tonight's show, it's not going to, it's not what it used to be. Right. My I, He didn't say this. I'm saying this. I bet my agent would rather represent somebody who has a million Instagram followers mm-hmm. than someone who was just on the Tonight Show. Right. And has no followers and but has potential. And like they did something special. It's not the current. It's a more valuable currency to have a big social media following than to have been on J- Jimmy Fallon. Interesting. Man, it's changing so much. It's but see to me, I I would think that gives people hope because it's like you you're more in control of your destiny than you think you are. You know, Completely. to me, it's empowering. You know, it's to me, it's stressful. For me, it's stressful because like I was like climbing this ladder for so many years, and then the the then like the game changed. Everyone's on this other ladder. I'm like, what about this right. one? But this one, everyone's like, hey, have fun over there. But we're over here, so beat them or beat them or join them. What is it? Join them or. I don't know. Well, what is your like? What like, what is your goal what, at this point? You're traveling. You work all the time. Every you work every week that you want to work. Yeah, you know it's confusing coming out of COVID. It's confusing. I had I had like some almost things that went to shit because of COVID. I had like mm-hmm. a, a thing that was supposed to happen. Like I was going to start working for Fox. I always liked wrestling. You know, we talked about that. And like, yeah. and I was going to start being a correspondent on Fox primetime uh being like a daily show type correspondent but for wrestling stuff like talking to fans and wrestlers and celebrities mm-hmm. and like that kind of thing so i was gonna be on saturday night primetime fox wrestlemania 2020 and like and then if that went well it'd be, I'd be on the weekly fox sports show after that but, but why was that why is that COVID, covid shut down covid no no audiences you know so then right and, and that was on fox and then since by the time then fox canceled the show i was going to be on uh before COVID stopped right. being, uh, uh, closing down everything. And then by the time fans came back last year, WWE kind of transitioned to NBC. So Fox is kind of like, we're not going to keep making this kind of stuff because you're with NBC. But why now. do you care? The, is it more about the exposure, about the money, about the lifestyle, or, you know, because that's it would have been fun. But I would have gotten to be a comedian. I would have gotten to be Taylor being silly. I wouldn't be working. That wasn't a job working for WWE. It would have been a job with Fox. Uh-huh. So I would have been same as Frank Caliendo and Rob Riggle do for NFL's uh, Sunday, you know? Oh, I didn't know Frank Caliendo does that. Yeah, he's, I mean, Frank's been doing that for a year, for 15 years, probably. Like, oh, the John Madden impression, got, like, blew him up. Yeah. That's probably, that's probably bigger for him than Matt TV, maybe. Right. That sounds so, so interesting. So that would have been a thing that led to more hosting opportunities and just, like, I'm so grateful for America's Got Talent, but my struggle has been... uh I'm always confused on these things. Am I supposed to talk about how great I am and how great, perfect it's things just, are? We, we talk, we're honest here on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I, <laughs> I think it's important to share stuff. And that's a, that's honestly another confusing thing in this business too is it used to be, I remember talking to Tommy John again about this. Do you know Tommy? No. He's a brilliant stand-up who's just become a superstar TV writer producer. Uh-huh. And, um, but he's like this killer stand-up. And uh but I remember talking to him. We did Last Comic Standing in 2010. And I remember him saying, I don't respond to fan mail. You got to pretend Brian Regan doesn't turn to fan mail. You, you got to be like, you're Mick Jagger, you know? You got to make the crowd think that you're famous. Like, that's the, that's the attitude that people had, you know? Like, 
but and now it's it, not that now it's like if you don't return an email like or a dm or don't people think you're a jerk sometimes you know is that right you're supposed to respond it's confusing especially during covid everyone's doing instagram lives and interacting and stuff and like uh -huh. i don't know i uh, i need you i don't know people people want to be friends with you now or feel like they're friends with you yeah i don't know if there's a point to this but uh oh yeah so now but then now also people want to hear artists be vulnerable and talk about like yeah things are hard right now like yeah like covid shut down my career i couldn't work for a year like right some people i don't know they leaned into the TikTok and all that stuff and for me that wasn't healthy for me for right. my brain to just go hard on that and but anyways it is a confusing business and uh but i have a lot of cool things going on too and a lot of potential things and um, so why did you because you're from san diego so why did you move to la then for that reason to be more connected to other opportunities i moved when i was 18 and i had to go to college oh and i got into cal state northridge right. uh one of the greatest schools in the country it's I've like harvard it. it's like harvard and harvard on the highway <laughs> is that what they call it <laughs> maybe i think like other schools that they don't call that I've never heard of that. That's funny. But yeah, so I got it. But it was my excuse to move to LA. And I, I wanted to be, well, I thought that the owner of the comedy store's daughter likes me. I thought I was going to be like, I was um, so a little bit too tenacious, like cringeworthy going for um, it, you know? Like I remember calling the comedy store saying, I took Sandy's comedy workshop. Like, <laughs> yeah, you get it. But it's no. Well, you're a kid. I'm a kid. But like just knowing who is answering now, the fucking bitter door, like phone guy, yeah. like, yeah thanks buddy you know what i mean like <laughs> they were nice to me actually i remember i talked to the guy who i think it was duncan trussell who's a great comic i think he was the talent booker at the time anyways but uh i moved to la and then i went to new york for a couple of years but now you don't have to live anywhere really it's really right my, my girlfriend's an actress she's living in atlanta now and she's on big shows she's on huge shows but like that's wow. where you don't because they, they film in atlanta right you don't have to, you don't have to, it's really weird because everything I've, I'm talking like I'm 70, but like everything, the rules, it's completely like, like, like an, it's like a, like an earthquake and everything mm -hmm. is all different now. Yeah. No, I and it's it. not bad at all. It's, it's good in many ways, but it's confusing for like an old man like me, like, wait, this is how it is. And this must be how racist people feel, you know, like, yeah, wait, right. We like diverse. <laughs> we like minorities now. What? I don't know. But what? Do you, I want to have other things. I want to mention, get to you because I you have so much. To, I don't sound sad, do I? I'm, I no, I'm just, I, I think it's, it's information to share with a fellow artist. I think and listeners. I think this is super interesting. Maybe I, I love this conversation. I'm I got a puppy for the people watching. It's a cute puppy. I don't think that's a dog, though. Sir, how dare you? I enjoy your humor most of the time, <laughs> but when you talk about the love of my life, this beautiful, she's Jewish, by the way. She says yeah. happy Hanukkah. What is your name again? Your dog? This is Betty. Betty? I didn't know that. I didn't know that was her name. Well, you don't why, is she squint, why is she squinting uh, she squint like that? Why is she eye-fucking you like that? Sir. How dare you? She's falling asleep because she's comfortable looking oh. in your eyes. Oh, she's, ah, she's entranced by my eyes. I want to talk because... <laughs> I want to talk about how you transitioned from writing just jokes, like you're saying, we want to like do a Mitch Hedberg. Hedberg oh, that guy. transition, yeah. But then, not the other one, not the, yeah, yes. not the other one. But you kind of, how you found your voice. You yeah, that's know? one of those other things that people got, like, when people say, how long does it take, to, there's no rules, but like, how long does it take to find your voice? 
I think Pan, I could be making up a complete story, but I feel like he said it took 20 years for him to become, like, to really find his thing, whatever. Well, people say 10 years, whatever. There's no rules for anything. Like, you could have a car that's 10 years old, but you can drive it three times. That's not the same as someone who does 500 shows a year and hustles, whatever. But, like, and some people, I started comedy when I was 17, and I wasn't a full human. So, like, I, I didn't know, have things to, life experience to talk about things. Everyone's... And everyone's lives are different, whatever. There's people who start, there's this special guy who's, uh, he just passed away, but he was in his 80s. Uh, shoot, I'm going to find his name before uh, we hang up on this because he's so special, he's worth mentioning. But he was 80, in his 80s doing stand-up comedy. He started, and he had all this to talk about, and it was really cool. And uh, I'm going to talk to you while looking his name. But um, uh, how did I find my voice? Is that the yeah. question? Yeah. Um, uh I don't know, you just live your life and you keep doing it. And like the, my favorite Wait. compliment I get, and the first time I got this was really made me happy. Someone said, you're the same on stage as off stage. Like, well, but I would say though, from watching you, I would say you're on stage, you're 10% more than yes. you are off stage. I mean, the way, but or, you're, or, you know, you're, an, you're, an, you're an observant uh, Jewish uh, comedy writer. So you right. can see, you can see that. Yeah, ideally it's you with the volume turned up, you know? Right. Right. Uh, so yeah, like, but I used to be, if someone's bored and wants to see it, like my first Craig Ferguson appearance is on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So if you type in Taylor Williams and Craig Ferguson in 2007, I tried not to smile. That was my shtick. And mm-hmm. like, that's the problem, like quote problem. Like it's not good or bad, but being seen early, you're being seen while before you know who you are. But then mm-hmm. as you know, as a writer or artist, this is always so frustrating to me, but now I try to look, I. I have to remind myself that it's a positive thing. Uh, this is what this is what I got from the comedy workshop. Sandy Shore said to me, "Rest in peace, Sandy." She said after my set, I destroyed like my, my first set. I demolished like like it was ridiculous. But I'm saying that's not to brag. I sound like an asshole. But my point being, it went so well. And then I walked up stage, and she said to me, "In six months, you'll be embarrassed by that." And I was like, "Fuck you, lady." That's my head, my head. You know, right. I didn't know what she's talking about. But I've learned that I still feel like that when I listen to a tape of my, I record all my sets on audio. Mm-hmm. I look, I, if I listen to some of them from a year ago, I used to go, ooh, but that's good. That means you're getting better, you you're know? Growing. How often, how do you, how often do you write new material and how do you go about writing new material? I used to be a really good writer, like writing every day and all that stuff. And then, um, cause I'm more of a, I really see myself as a joke teller, you know? And oh, by the way, the answer your question is you'll see how I evolved. And the second time I'm on Craig Ferguson, I'm smile. I'm trying to smile. I'm trying right. on purpose to smile. And then I still have to remind myself to smile on stage. Right. And I, I you, remind why do you have, feel like you have to? Why do you feel like you're not smiling? Uh, by the way, Marty Ross is the guy in his 80s who's really special. Look up M A R T Y, Marty Ross. He's an 80 okay. year old comedian. Anyways, but, um, and, uh, and, uh, I, I think it's my, I was always just appalled by and had such extreme judgment for comedians who walk on stage like, whoa, I'm a comedian, you know? Like, I love Robin Williams. Like, like I, I love the, the legendary guys like that. But, like, I, like, I would do open mics and I would watch a guy go on stage and, just, like, give it his all. And there's two people in the crowd. And, like, it just made me so uncomfortable. This is mm-hmm. clearly my problem, not theirs, you know? But yeah. I think I have a... I don't know. I, one of my struggles as a performer is I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to articulate it. Like I feed off the audience. Like if the audience likes me, I work harder and I do better. 
Yeah. But if they don't like me, I kind of have like a fuck you. I don't, I don't care, you know. Right. Uh, well, how do you go about writing your material then? Yeah, I don't. I I've gone kind of lazy lately uh, in the last fifteen years. But like, I kind of work out on stage. I have ideas. I mean, it used to be even beginning of my lazy phase. Twitter, remember Twitter used to be for jokes and stuff. Yeah, I was just like, oh, that tweet did good. I'm gonna try to turn that into a bit. But the problem with tweets, from my experience, for me, it was more premises than punchlines. Mm-hmm. Like I remember, I had some joke, some tweet that got a lot of traction. I forgot what it was, but something about like <clears throat> this cop keeps following me. He must really like me, or I don't know what the joke was, whatever. But I remember just saying it on stage, and it bombed. Mm-hmm. But I I realized, oh, it's a premise. It's right. not the funny part. Right. So that was confusing to me but now I, I write ideas in my notepad just randomly then I go on stage and I fuck around and I kind of sandwich new ideas between uh between um jokes that work already so I have a, I go I have a good opener I open strong and then I might do two two jokes I know work and then I'll just ramble on something new because I'm also trying to become less jokey I'm trying to become story storyteller guy, which is very ter- very terrifying to me and I still haven't figured it out that's interesting. So, because you don't want to just constantly be testing out material because you want to people, you also want to show people your best stuff. Because the, Yeah, you know, like when people come, and that's something I, I blows me away that like there's comedians that don't do, like I work at the comedy store in LA mm-hmm. and like, well, you still have to bring it. Like you can't go, right. it's not open mic night for me, but it is for, I don't know, George Wallace if he comes in, you know what I mean? Like it can be, right. but he's still going to be funny because he's George Wallace, you know? But who I don't, I think I've seen there once in my life. I don't know why I'm using his name because I don't think he lives in LA. <laughs> but like, um, but there's like, in LA you work out, and then when when I go on the road, mm-hmm. it's ninety three percent ready to go. Right. And if the crowd's with me, I, I I'll I'll do something else. But um, I think as you get better and do this long, you don't bomb anymore. Right. You kind of know how to like i know how to recover from a joke not working like i, I can bomb have a joke bomb and then i can say something and then the crowd's mm-hmm. with me and then i can right. move on like like it never happened you know right right like i don't let it destroy me or the performance yeah i remember we we saw you i don't remember where we but club we saw you at but probably you, the you improv was, i always forget no no that's not melrose i don't think i don't think it was that one i thought it was like maybe the comedy store is that possible or maybe but um, you were so comfortable on stage. It really was like, wow, this guy's really, he knows what he's doing, you know? Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, you really knew what you're doing. You were very, yeah. I, I, I know Sierra and I felt the same way. I was like, wow, this guy's tight, you know? Oh, hey, thanks. Yeah. No, yeah. I was always so excited to work with you guys. Like, you guys are my kind of people, just like smart comedy writers. Like, it's still my favorite style of comedy jokes. Just mm-hmm. like, like. Well, why killer- do you want to get into storytelling? Because that, that's so interesting to me that you want to do that. I've wanted to figure it out for a while because one of my problems is, or my, I'm jealous. Like if Louis C.K. has a new joke, mm-hmm. he has seven minutes. Yeah. If I have a new yeah. joke, it's 12 seconds. Yeah, right. Right. And, but my joke will hit hard. Like Dan Mintz is one of my favorites. You know Dan Mintz? No. He's a great stand, brilliant stand up, but he's Tina on Bob's Burgers, but he's also like a brilliant oh. co- TV writer and producer and stuff. Right. Best jokes you'll ever hear. Like, so good. But like, I heard Seinfeld and Tom Papa talking about this, but like people don't, in general, the masses don't want jokes. They don't want to watch Rodney Dangerfield. 
They don't want to watch someone go on stage and just talk about stupid things that aren't real. Like Dan Mintz goes on stage. So he'll talk about his girlfriend. Then he'll say, my wife just died. Then he'll say, like, I'm single. Right. <laughs> but it's just sick. It's so funny. Just You'll just hear great jokes that make no, there's no, it's, it's, I, people it's don't. so interesting. Because I feel that, go ahead. I'm just, I'm know. sorry. But pe- people just want to, people want to hear you talk. You know what my cousin said to me? And he's really smart, funny guy. And like, he's talking, he's like goofing with me, but serious. He's like, Taylor, once you start being a real comedian, you're going to become so famous. And what he's, what he meant by that is like, so my parents got divorced and I have mental illness in my family. And uh, uh, I don't, there's people who just talk about their tragedies, their STDs, their fucking, all this shit that you quote private stuff. I don't, you know what I'm trying to say? People yeah. want to hear that stuff. And the comedians who are blowing up and selling 15,000 seats, which never existed before podcasts and Netflix with mm-hmm. with within, within with, with a few exceptions, they're all talking about vulnerable stuff that wow. oh I truly don't even want to talk about. But yeah. it makes people happy and feel seen and yeah, and they feel connected. And that's what people want. And um, so I don't have to do that, but it's interesting. interesting to me. And like, I mean, I'm a, unfortunately, but fortunately for art, I have a lot of fucked up shit in my family, in my life and stuff. So I feel like it's, it is worth exploring, but it is like, I feel like I'm at open mic night, night one when I start talking about something real. But you see, when I, you know, I, I, I did stand up in college and I moved out here. I did it for 10 minutes and then I was like, I just want to be a comedy writer, but and so I've always loved stand-up, but to me, it always felt like it, it still feels like empty calories. And it's the real, the meaty stuff, the emotional stuff, the personal stuff. I was like, that's, you know, that's, that's what I feed on. Like, that's why it's so interesting to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's, that's the storytelling. Right. And, and, and that's what you're up to now, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. so cool, man. I got to come well, to your show. I really want to see you. You have multiple oh, shows, right? We did, um, I did, we did eight shows in LA, then two in Boston, and then we'll start touring a little more soon when the book is out. But it's, yeah. it's, I saw you post, you have different themes. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah, it is. Ins- it's a little, I want to talk to you more about it off the air. After, yeah. We're done I don't want to talk to you. Up. I don't want to talk to you off the air. Oh, what, you're going to have to. So, because <laughs> I want more, I want more your, your opinion on stuff. But yeah, that's what I'm doing. And um, yeah, it's just, it's so interesting. So for example, by the way, like someone like yourself, like you're not, you're so acclaimed as a TV writer and uh, all this, but you're not known to the comedy clubs as a standup, but you're somebody, okay, that's fine. But you're somebody that you could hit up a comedy club and say, I could sell 200 tickets or 150 tickets in Baltimore. I give me 80% ticket sales. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think I want to. The minute you go to a comedy club, People are okay. We're going to heckle this guy. Whereas if you go to the theater, <laughs> it's a do- totally different experience. You, you know? know, comedians don't want to be in comedy clubs either. That's that's why the comedy clubs are turning into like like they're some aren't even calling those comedy clubs anymore. They're trying to be like performing arts performance arts center kind of thing, trying to make it but, classier and bring people back to to comedy. That's clubs. interesting. But they're still serving alcohol, right? And they're still having and people are still heckling, right? And you know the problem with social media that is driving me crazy and i sound like an old bitter uh scrooge again people are blowing up 
by filming them their heckler comedian destroys heckler yeah yeah i'm like every time i see one of those i'm like what the fuck are you doing Why? you're encouraging hecklers so comedians oh. are going on stage and they're because you, one you don't want to give away your material for reasons we talked about yes it's good if your joke blows up but you'd also prefer not to post your joke so your people are posting the improv moments between their jokes which isn't comedy it, mm-hmm. i mean it's fun it's fun i get it it's fun and it's spontaneous whatever but now people are heckling more and people are getting are attacked on stage. Yeah, yes, yes. And they're getting it's people are getting attacked on stage more because people right. are filming it and posting it. And like there's I mean, God bless her. And I don't know her and I'm not blaming her. And why not do so if this happens? So zero much respect to her. But like she got on Jimmy Kimmel because someone threw a beer at her and then she she chugged it. And she and handled she, it well. Yeah, you know, I didn't see I'm, I'm very happy. I don't I'm being much respect, but it's like that's how you get on TV now. Yeah. So now you're yeah. hoping you get heckled or have a glass. I got, I had someone throw a glass at me, but once, but I didn't film it. It was worthless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, we've all had that kind of stuff, but like, I think it's lowering the art form and it's also making it more dangerous artistically and physically. So I do obviously like theaters are classy. And the better thing about a theater crowd, a hundred percent of people came to see you. There's right. not going to be a bachelorette party or a birthday party or people yes. like, wait, why aren't you funnier? Why are you being emotional? Right. You know? right. Cause people have asked me, we, we perform your, my club, my club. No, I'm not going to perform in your comedy club. I don't, that's not, it's the wrong crowd. No. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, although can I tell you, I just, I just did a private party the other night. Yeah. The best gig of my entire life. Why? Financially. Uh-huh. <laughs> and like, and uh, I, I opened for this, famous i don't know if i should say i don't know i'm trying to be respectful sure. but i'm like a really famous snl guy at some in san diego at someone's christmas party and like they're all just in i didn't know i thought it was a business because i do private events of businesses but i showed up and it was like someone's house and i was like produce and they're all wearing onesies and stuff there's a bunch of rich people yeah and like they paid the best paid gig of my entire life to wow. open for somebody i can't imagine how much he got i'm just like this is what it's all about but yeah. trying to sell out big theaters and all this stuff just rich people who own mcdonald's if you guys want to if you guys want to have me come perform for your christmas parties i'm available that's my new yeah me too (laughs) if you want to book both of us (laughs) rich any rich people listening to my podcast no dude it was why i even when i was like like i'm proud of where what i'm doing and stuff but like my status after america's talent was i it was way bigger than it is now just how it goes you know and like i never got I got twice as much as I ever got for events back then. Oh, really? Yeah. So, so your your rate has actually gone down since then because you're, you're no my rate. Popped. I'm saying my rate doubled. You wait. No, I'm saying after I'm saying American I got, got Talent, it doubled, and it's still no, where it is. No, I'm saying I'm saying my rate. I'm, <laughs> I got this venue. This these people paid me twice as much as I've huh. ever been paid when I was blowing up. Okay. Uh, no. Okay. You're referring to today. I see. You're the the show you just did. The point is that I have a good agent. <laughs> that was never the point. <laughs> the point Man. is I'm I'm rich until my air can I have to pay off my broken air conditioning unit. <laughs> Being an adult is crazy. Like I literally just made a bunch of money and my my air conditioner broke and that's ten thousand. It's probably nine thousand dollars. I live in oh. a townhouse. Oh, you own your townhouse. Oh, and, and yeah. I own my a, a townhouse and they have to get a crane and put it on the roof and all this stuff. And, oh. Oh, that sucks. That sucks. But uh, being adults terrible. I don't have kids. I got a dog, but like, that's a dog. 
sir this is <laughs> what is wrong do you not have love in your heart uh, no no i i had a dog she was a golden retriever so i know what a dog looks like that's all i'm saying this is your this is a hate crime is my dog's jewish and this is offensive well i'm just saying it's uh you know let me see the purse that you carry her in <laughs> <laughs> i carry her in a backpack i've been encouraged okay. i i've been encouraged to get one of those doggy bjorns i did it for like a day and i was like i can't i can't <laughs> Doesn't, isn't the dog supposed to walk? It's like exercise for them. <laughs> the problem with my dog is she's 4.9 pounds chihuahua. Yeah. And it's like carrying, it's like walking a feather. Yeah, right. It's a little, right. It's a little bit, uh, it's not as, if you're trying to get business done. Yeah. Backpack's right. efficient. I, I take her to the park and she runs around. That's nice of you. That's How nice. dare you shame me and judge How, my, my no, parenthood. No. This is Taylor. This has been a, a very interesting talk. I, I do a good. I feel like I came off I, cynical. Or, no, uh, I don't. This is going to be gold. I think everyone's going to love this. This is going to this is going to blow up. This is going to put you back on the map. Really, going to get you a lot of rich people gigs. Hey, rich uh, people, please hire me to perform at your events. Um, well, let's tell tell people how to find you on social media and stuff. Um, I oh. am on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok. You're the t like. People are like, I gotta talk to my little sister to figure out how TikTok works. And I'm like, no, call Michael Jammin. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's right. the TikTok star I know. But um, I'm at Taylor Comedy and Facebook Taylor Williamson and TaylorWilliamson.com. I was runner up on America's Got Talent and I was on Last Comic Standing and some other things. But uh, if you go to my website, I have clips of all the things and I'm on tour. When is this mm -hmm. gonna air? Uh, probably, no, probably in about a month or so, we'll drop it. Um, what shows coming up in Atlanta? And Boca, Shalom Boca. Yep. And then um, what's the other one? Green Greensville, one of the Carolinas. But we can sign up on your website for all your touring dates and stuff. And Calgary, you. Alberta, Canada, somewhere in Michigan. Look at this guy. Listen, you get a lot of mileage on your frequent flyer. I gotta pay a mortgage. I gotta feed a dog. That dog doesn't eat much. She gets the fancy, expensive food, but she's so <laughs> small. She's so small that it's not. It's it works, you know. Anyways. Yeah. Anyways. But can I say, can I tell people though that yeah. I like getting? I got to we 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 came up with a show together, and uh, it was such a wonderful experience. It meant so much to me that um, that you and your partner believed in me and my idea. Like truly, like it we meant the, the world mark. to me. Huh? We were off the mark that day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, like I said, there weren't many other people interested. <laughs> and then, uh, but uh, it meant so much, and it was so fun pitching, and I felt yeah. like I was doing something right with my life, and it, was a, it turned out to be a big waste of time. <laughs> and uh no but it was it just some things are just right place right time and some things are not and then yeah but uh i'm so grateful i got to work with you be friends with you and stuff and it's been really such a pleasure watching you uh to go on your new journey and i take full credit for you for it by the way because we should. had that talk like a, a two years ago and and uh, i told you not to do what you're doing but i told you something else and then you're doing this instead and so i feel like i don't remember what you told me should, that we have to review on that <sighs> We'll review on when we get off the air. We'll review because I have a lot of questions for you that uh, um, are more not. I'm, I'm, I'm taking credit because I'm taking credit because you didn't do what I said, but then you did something else. Because you're like, I'm not gonna do that. I, I pushed you in a different direction. Yeah, which is but just as important. Bad advice <laughs> is just as good as important as good advice. <laughs> yeah, Taylor, I thank you so much for being on the podcast. Everyone, just go follow this guy. He's a sweet, very funny guy, and I just think the world of you. you're a good dude, man. You're a good hey. dude. Thanks, man. Likewise. And yeah. uh, let's hang out with the Just Shoot Me lady sometime.
Which one is that? Who? Laura? Is this the star? Who's, what's her name? Laura Tangicoma? Wendy Malik? Who can, we is... hang, can we hang out both of them? <laughs> uh, yeah, they're, I work, yeah, they're both lovely. They're both amazing people. So All right, we'll, get, we'll, we'll get dinner soon. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Taylor, thank you so much, everyone. And, Thanks, uh, everyone. And yeah, for everyone, uh, what else do I have to tell before I sign off? Yeah, go get on my watch list, michaeljammon.com slash watch list. is my free weekly newsletter. I send out tips for the industry. And uh, I got a free lesson for screenwriting at michaeljammon.com slash free. And if you want to see where my show is coming, we'll be touring, go to michaeljammon.com slash upcoming to find out where I'll be in your, when I'll be in your city. All right, everyone. Thanks so much. Until next one, next time, keep writing. Okay. This has been an episode of Screenwriters Need to Hear This with Michael Jammon. If you'd like to support this podcast, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing this podcast with someone who needs to hear today's subject. For free daily screenwriting tips, follow Michael on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Michael Jammon Writer. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Phil A. Hudson. This episode was produced by Phil Hudson and edited by Dallas Crane. Until next time, keep writing.